you have your Bible this morning, take it out and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke in this series we've simply referred to as Hope is Born. Hope is Born. We're looking at the Christmas story found in Luke. The Christmas story found in Luke. And last week we looked at Mary's song and I I told you that one of the best ways or the clearest markers that we've made it into the Christmas season is that we sing. Our music changes. We change songs. We, we put the Christmas playlist on. We turn it to the Christmas music channel on the TV. We change our songs in the sanctuary. We sing these Christmas songs uh, along the way. It seems like at Christmas, everybody becomes a singer. Everybody sings a little more. The people in the pew sing a little more. You sing in your choir, in your car. You sing in your shower. Christmas songs kind of fill our heart. Whether you're good or bad at singing, it seems like Christmas songs make you sing. I'm reminded of the little girl that was visiting her grandmother, and the grandmother began to play the piano and sing and um, going through some Christmas songs. And and when she got to away in the manger, the grandmother thought she would begin to sing the song along with it. About that time, the little granddaughter tugged on her sleeve and said, Grandmother, let's just let the piano sing this one. We all think we can sing when it comes to Christmas music. Now, one of the reasons why Christmas music stands out to us is because music is in the Bible. We are singing people. In the book of Psalms, the writer tells us in Psalm 42 that the Lord heard our cry, picked us up from the mire, placed us on the rock, and put a song in our mouth. We are singing people. Well, this morning, I want you to look with me at another song of Christmas found in the New Testament. In the first part of chapter uh, chapter 1 of Luke, we find a song written by Zechariah. Zechariah will sing a prophecy in song. He will sing about the Lord. This is probably the second recorded Christmas song in history. Mary's just a few verses up being the first, but the second one being Zechariah. Look with me in your Bible at Luke chapter 1, verse 67 um, through there. We'll read Zechariah's song. Your Bible probably titles it maybe Zechariah's Prophecy. It's a song in prophecy. It's a poetry about what the Lord is doing. Look at verse 67 with me. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Verse 73. The oath that he swore to our fathers Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we see Zechariah's Christmas song, as we see this 
what would be considered the second Christmas song recorded. Lord, we pray uh, that as the incarnation takes hold of Zechariah's heart, Lord, it would take hold of ours. We too would, would sing. We too would, would, would cry out from our soul of the goodness of God and what Christmas has done. Lord, help us. Help us, Father, to see the beauty of Christmas through this prophecy of Zechariah. Show us again what it means that Christ has come. Lord, bless our time now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we understand that Christmas is about a miraculous birth. It's about a Virgin Mary giving birth to God in the flesh, and it is a miracle that she did that. It is a miracle that God made that happen. But what's interesting about Christmas is there's more than one miracle birth that takes place at Christmas. There's, one, there's more than one miraculous conception, if you will, that takes place at Christmas. There's actually two miraculous births in the Christmas season. About six months before Mary will give birth to Jesus, her cousin Elizabeth will give birth to John. In fact, the Gabriel, the angel, who delivers the message to Mary concerning Jesus will also deliver the message to um, Zechariah concerning John. Look with me for just a moment. Let me give you a little background. At the first part of chapter 1 of Luke, let me show you what I mean. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah are older in age and they are barren. This means they have been unable to have children for all of their life. And certainly because they are Jewish, because of the traditions of the Jews, they would have gotten married at a very young age. So they've spent many years not being able to welcome children into their own home. They've not been able to birth a child of their own. Now, Zechariah serves as the local priest in the house of worship. He has duties there. They take turns in the small villages doing the duties of priests, some of the men in the village. And this would have been his season to be the priest doing the duties. He would go in and light the incense. He would, uh, maybe in modern terms, he might turn on the lights and unlock the doors. He would prepare the hymnals, if you will. He would get ready for worship. He would lead the songs. The Bible says that he's doing his work and the angel of the Lord appears to him in the temple. He's there alone. And the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, says to him that he will have a child. Now, this is something interesting because I want you to see Luke chapter 1, verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, that's a biblically polite way of saying they were old. They were old and they were not near having children in the age that they were. But the angel of the Lord appears to them and says they're going to have a child. Look at verse 18. Let's give just a little bit more context. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, men, y'all can take some advice from Zechariah right there, can't you? He said, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. What a great way to talk about his wife, right? Then she said, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So he's saying, I'm from the Lord. Listen to me. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people, these are folks were outside the temple waiting on Zechariah to come out. They were wondering at what had delayed him in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them 
And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and, it kept, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Now look at verse 24. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept it hidden to herself. Now think about the story for just a moment. Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful Jewish people. They're doing their job in their village. He's the priest. She's the wife of the priest. They're doing what they're called to do, but they're older and they've never been able to have a child. We certainly understand that grief in our day and time where people have trouble becoming pregnant or having children. We can, we can have compassion for what's happening there, especially in this first century Jewish world where family was their, um, their uh, marker of life and success and children were considered a blessing from God. And even in the agricultural world in which they live, you needed more children to plant more vineyards, to grow more food. Uh, and so not having children was certainly a, a kind of a, a, an unwritten uh, shame, maybe, that they carried around. And, and so when the angel appears and says to Zechariah, your wife's going to have a baby, you can imagine that he is not buying this. And he doubts the Lord. He doubts the messenger of the Lord. And the messenger of the Lord, Gabriel, says, okay, since you doubted me, I'm going to cleave your tongue to the roof of your mouth, and you will not utter a word for nine months. Ladies, can you think of a better way to go through pregnancy than having your husband be quiet? I mean, she got a blessing in that, didn't she? But you're going to be quiet for nine months. Now, the reason why I give you all that background is because I, I want you to understand something. For nine months, for nine months, he watched his wife's belly grow. For nine months, he listened to the chirping of the ladies in the village discussing what colors will be in the nursery. For nine months, he had to put together baby beds and paint walls. He had to surf Pinterest and find out what you get your wife when she gives birth. For nine months, he had to do all that without saying a word. For nine months, he contemplated what the Lord was doing. For nine months in his heart, he meditated on what God was doing. For nine months, he mealed over the words of the angel, the word of God in his heart. For nine months... He communed with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone because he couldn't open his mouth. And why is that important? Because look with me now. Here's where we get to our text this morning. Look at verse 62. This is after John has been born. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to call him. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote. Now the angel had told him what to name the child. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Look at verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up on their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So think about it now. For nine months, he's not been able to speak. And all of a sudden, his mouth is open. For nine months, he's been contemplating what God is doing. And all of a sudden, his mouth is open. And you know what he does? He bursts in a song. He starts to sing. He starts to praise the Lord. He does not wave his finger into heaven and say, God, how could you have done that for nine months? I'm so mad at you. He does not have the list of all the things he wanted to say over the nine months. And he says, hey, I got a few things I need to get off my chest, right? If you had to go silent for nine months, you'd probably make a list of things you want to come back to with those around you. He probably had a thousand things he wanted to communicate. 
But when God loosened his tongue, the first thing that he did is he started singing to the Lord. He was meditating on what God was doing, and the first thing out of his mouth is a song to the Lord. I want you to see his song this morning. Let us look at Zechariah's song. What does he sing about? I, I believe it's a song of prophecy. I believe Zechariah tells us what the Lord is doing and will do. And I reminded you last week, and I want to say it again, a lot of times in the Bible we find prophets writing in past tense. And the reason they do that is a, a literature kind of trick. And what they're doing is they're simply saying, I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future, but I'm writing it in past tense because I want you to understand what's going to happen in the future is already a done deal because God has already declared it done. So I can write it now as if it's in the past, even though it has not come about. It is a sure thing. So I want you to notice in Zechariah's prophecy that he talks to three people. The prophecy will address three people. It will address the Messiah, it will address the messenger, and it will address the multitude. The prophecy will cover the Messiah, the messenger, and the multitude. Let me show you what I mean first. He praises God because the Messiah was sent from God. Zechariah sings because the Messiah was sent from God. Look at verse 67. In fact, verse 67 through 75 is one giant sentence. They did not have the writing professors that I did back in the day. It's one long run-on sentence. He says in verse 67, And this father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now we need to be clear here. Everything he's about to say is given to him by the Spirit of the Lord. He is prophesying Scripture. He is singing a song that the Spirit has placed on him. Now look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited the redeemed of his people and raised up the horn of salvation for in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to his father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah is going to sing about the two children being born, but he does not begin with John, his own son. He begins with Jesus. The first prophecy, the first song, the first verse is about Jesus. He begins to sing about Jesus. I can be uh, compassionate to this. I can understand this. I remember the birth of my three children. It is forever etched in my mind, those moments in which they entered into the world. And while we grab them and we count their toes and we look at them and we thank them, one of the first things that comes out of our mouth is, thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. You hear about someone having the birth of a child and you will say, praise the Lord. Amen. That's awesome. Why? Because we understand that all blessing comes first from the Father. And so what John does is, or what Zechariah does is before he begins to talk about the very child he's holding, he talks about the Messiah that is coming. And he sings a song about the Messiah. And in this song, in this Christmas song, he tells us why Jesus is worthy to be sung to. Why should we sing to Jesus? I just want to give you a couple of reasons this morning. First, the Messiah is worthy to be sung to because simply he visited his people. He visited his people. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. There's the term. Bless God, praise God, worship God. There it is. Why? Because he visited his people. Can you think about something more marvelous than the fact that the God of all creation came to hang out with us? Can you think about of a, a, a better dinner guest in your home, a better person to enter into your world, a better person to come into your uh, sphere of influence than the God of all creation? 
the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He literally says, praise be to God, because He came to see us. He came to visit us. What a marvelous thing it is that God would come to us. Out of the goodness of His heart, He would come. He didn't have to come. He certainly didn't need to come. He certainly didn't have anything. We didn't have anything that he needed. It's not like he knocked on my door and said, can I get a cup of sugar? Right? He didn't need anything that I had in my cup. You're welcome to laugh at any point at the sermon. He, he didn't need anything that I had. It's not that I had some sort of moral high ground that he said, hey, I want to come learn from you, Corey. I'd like to figure out what you're doing. It's not like that I had some sort of talent where he'd say, boy, you, you're really good at that. I, I wish I had that in my repertoire. I, I want to come study you. It's not like he saw us as holy and perfect. Boy, you guys are so good at not sinning. I really want to learn your trick. No, but he came. He came. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is about God coming to us. And Zechariah begins to sing, and he says, you know what? The Messiah of God is worthy of praise. Why? Because he came. He came. Can you think about Jesus coming to us? I mean, think about what he left behind. I know that we have very small snippets of what heaven will be like in Scripture. There's a lot left untold, but we have some pretty good pictures. We have this idea in Revelation that heaven is this place where there's no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness. We know there's no more sin in heaven, no more evil, no more lying. You won't ever have to sign a contract again. You won't ever have to uh, give your word or borrow money or hope they show up to pay their bill. None of those things will be discussed in heaven. You certainly, as I say, often won't have to deal with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. You won't have to worry about cavities or braces or glasses. The streets are paved with gold, the walls of sapphire, the food never Never ends. The water flows forever. The tree never rots. Can you believe heaven is the place where you wake up every day and your back does not hurt? Heaven is the place where you see that friend you've seen a thousand times, but you remember their name that time. Heaven is the place where you never lose the remote. Heaven is that place. It's, it's perfect. It's wonderful. And Jesus left it. He left it. He left the angels that worshipped him around the clock at all times singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. He left it. He left the perfect communion of the Father and the Spirit. He left the, uh, the golden streets, if you will. He left it. He left it, and he not left it. He, he didn't leave it. See, see, when you and I leave our house, we're hopefully saving up to go somewhere better, like the, the beach house or the lake house or, or, or somewhere else. You know, we, we leave our house. In a couple of days, I'll be leaving my house to go to grandmothers and grandmothers and grandmothers, and I'm excited because grandmother and grandmother's got more food in their refrigerator than I do. I'm going to a better place when I leave there. Jesus came to a lesser place. John says, I'm going to sing to Jesus because... Oh, brothers and sisters, He came. He came. But not only do we sing because He came, look again at the verse. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Now here's the beauty of the text. Jesus didn't come to just say, hey, and move on. He came to do work. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. He came to do something on our behalf. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. It's great to know that God loves us. It's even better to know that that love compels Him to save us. It's even better to know that out of His love, He will work for us. He will redeem us. He will rescue us. And notice how He redeems us. Look in your Bible at verse 71. 
that we should be saved from our enemies. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. What does he mean by this? There is no doubt in my mind that in Luke's gospel and in the gospel of Acts, when he records these scripture moments in history, he is absolutely talking about the idea that we need to be saved from sin and Satan and death and the grave. He's not talking about being saved from those who might spit on us when we walk down the street or some political oppression or some government or some foreign agency. He's not discussing that. He's not talking about being delivered from economic oppression. He's simply saying and declaring from the very beginning that Jesus Christ came in order to to redeem us from sin. Brothers and sisters, if I were to give you all of the money in the world and the best house and the best health insurance and built it next to the best hospital, can I tell you something? It still wouldn't solve your sin problem. It still wouldn't fix the issue that's going to cast you separated from God for all eternity. And the only way in which that can be solved, the only way in which that can be absolved, the only way in which that can be redeemed is through Jesus who came. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. He came to rescue us. Now, how will he do this? Well, let me simply tell you the gospel again. And Jesus came in order that he might live a sinless life, a perfect life. He was a man like you and me, but he was also fully God. And he walked this earth without ever sinning. He never broke a law of God. He never once got in trouble by disobeying his mom and dad. He never once took the Lord's name in vain. He never once told a lie. He never stole. He never uh, stopped observing the Sabbath. He did everything the way heaven expected it to be done. And then the Bible says that in, in the time was right, in the fullness of time, all of our sin was laid on his shoulders. All the things that I have done wrong and you have done wrong and the world has done wrong was given to his account, credited to him. And he went to the cross and he died. He died on the cross we should have died on. He felt the wrath of God that we should have felt, but he satisfied that wrath. Why? How do we know that? Because when he was laid in the tomb, three days later, he rose from the grave. He began to breathe again. His heart began to beat again. He walked out of that tomb, and now God is satisfied with the payment of sin. God says to us, all who come to Christ, now have their sin satisfied. They are redeemed. They are rescued. They are healed. Now the question would be is, how can that be? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. You might say that, that you, let, let's say you owe me $50,000. And I come to you and I say, man, I really like your worn out baseball glove in the bottom of your basement under your stairs. If you'll give me that baseball glove, I'll write you a receipt for $50,000. You might step back and say, how can that be? Now, I imagine you're going to take that receipt as fast as you can. I imagine you're going to come running out of there. You, you want to know why that can be fair? Because I'm the one that's owed the debt, and I get to set the term limits of the debt. I'm the one that decides what is fair payment and what is not. And you know what the Lord Jesus has decided by God the Father in heaven? That the payment of debt is the blood of His Son. And when we come to His Son, God in heaven says, payment fulfilled receipt given. This is what I wanted. This is what I received for sin. And now it is finished. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says it simply this way. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to his riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. According to his grace, the blood of Jesus was the price and he did it for you and for me. Zechariah says, I praise the Lord because he visited us. Because he redeemed us. Let me show you a third reason why he praises the Lord. And it's simply this, because he's kept his promise. Look at the text. Look at verse 69 and 70. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. The horn of salvation there, a horn of an animal, is simply its majesty, its power, its strength. We find this in Psalm 18, the Lord is my shield, the horn of my salvation. The idea is that God has remembered his promise that he told through the prophets, and he sent Jesus as this horn of salvation in order to do it. Now go a little bit further down in verse 70. He says, excuse me, uh, verse 72. To show mercy he promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us. One of the reasons why we sing to Jesus at Christmas is because God kept his promise. God has promised to send us a Savior, to redeem us from our sins. The whole Old Testament is full of this idea of a Messiah that will come. Can I tell you something beautiful? When Jesus entered into our world, he did not start a new religion. He simply fulfilled the promise of the Old Testament. He simply said, this is what I'm calling you to and what I've been promising you. And I've done, I've kept my word. Isn't it good to know that God keeps his word? God has promised and he fulfills. Zechariah says, I sing to the Messiah because he's visited us. He's redeemed us. He's kept his promise. And then let me show you one final reason why Zechariah sings to the Messiah. And that's simply this. Look at verse 74. He says that we are being delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now here's the beauty of it. Because Jesus has visited us, because Jesus has redeemed us, because Jesus has kept his promise, here's what happens. We get to serve him. We get to be a part of his family. We get to be invited into his ministry and his work. And now, here's the word you want to hear. We have purpose in life. We have purpose in life. We have fulfillment in life because of Jesus. We can walk with him without fear. We can walk with him and serve him. He has rescued us. This is what God has done through Christ. And the beautiful thing about this idea of serving the Lord as we are always in relationship with God. Now, we may be out of fellowship from time to time, but we're always in relationship. Let me see if I can help you understand this. Sometimes my children get out of fellowship with me. Now, that has to do with how they talk to their mother or, or disobey or don't go to bed, but they get out of fellowship with me. Now, we can get them back into fellowship. Now, you guarantee we can get them back into fellowship. We can begin with verbal warnings, we can begin with, with the threatening of punishment, and then we can go find that thing that will smack them on that big area on their backside that the Lord created for to be smacked. And we can get them back into fellowship. But all the while we're punishing our children, they're never out of relationship with me. They might be out of fellowship, but not relationship. I heard a pastor say one time he was on the deck of a boat, the boat was moving pretty fast across the Atlantic Ocean, and he was having a jumping contest with his children on the deck of the boat. He said, I jumped up, and I fell down on the deck of the boat, and I almost broke my leg. I limped the rest of the voyage. He said, but I'm so thankful I didn't jump off the boat, just onto the boat. You see, brothers and sisters, we might get out of whack with our relationship with the Lord, but we ain't never off the boat. We're never out of relationship. And, and this is what Zechariah begins to sing about. He says, the Lord... The Lord has visited me. He has redeemed me. He has sent his son so that he kept his word. And now, and now, I get to serve him without fear. I get to walk into his presence and have relationship with him. Zechariah sings 
about the Messiah. Now I want you to see the second part of his song, and simply this. Not only does he sing that God has sent the Messiah, he sings because the messenger, the messenger has been sent. God has sent the messenger. He has brought him into the world. The messenger was sent for God. Look with me at verse 76 and 77. Now he'll begin to talk about John. And you, child, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. But in verse 76 and 77, the the rest of the text tells us what John will proclaim. But verse 76 and 77 tells us about John. Now think about it for just a moment. Let's, Let's get ourselves wrapped up into this Hallmark movie for just a moment. Zachariah and Elizabeth have spent all their life without children. Their neighbors have had children. Their cousins have had children. Their siblings have had children. Him being a priest, they've dedicated children in the temple year after year, week after week. They've, they've been around children. There's nothing in the Scripture to tell us that they don't like children. In fact, Zechariah is taken aback when the angel says, you're going to have a baby. I'm sure it brought up pain. I'm sure it brought up scars. And then all of a sudden, Elizabeth has a baby. Can you picture this? Zechariah taking in his arms this baby boy looking down into his tender, sweet face and saying, you, child, you, child, will be the prophet of the Most High. You, child, will be special. I've not met a parent yet that hadn't held their baby and didn't think it was special. All y'all think your babies are the cutest. I know that. You hold your baby and you think it's special. But this one, this one really is kind of special, kind of set apart, kind of different. Why? Because the Lord had tasked John with being the messenger. So, so Zechariah takes the baby in his hands. He says, you, child, will be the prophet of the Most High. You, you know what that means. It's more than a title. It's his life calling. His job will be to proclaim the message that Jesus has come, that salvation has come into the world. In fact, if you were to flip over in your Bible to the first chapter of John, you'll see where Jesus is walking down to the water to be baptized, and John himself looks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's job will be to tell other people about Jesus. John's job will be to proclaim to them salvation has come. Jesus is here. He will be the prophet before God's hand moves. When you read the Old Testament, the prophet was a forerunner, an announcer of what God was going to do. You better repent or God's going to do this. Or, hey, God's going to rescue you. The prophet always spoke about what God was going to do. But for 400 years since the close of the Old Testament, Israel had not heard a prophet. God had been silent. Heaven's lips had been sealed. And then in this very moment, Zechariah holds in his hand the prophet of Israel. The one who come and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Notice what he will do. Look at verse 77. He will give knowledge of salvation to his people. For the forgiveness of their sins. He will proclaim the good news. Can I take an aside for just a moment? John is special. There's only been one John the Baptist in all of history. There's only one recorded in Scripture. You're not John the Baptist. I'm not John the Baptist. There won't be another John the Baptist. He had a special role as God's New Testament prophet to proclaim the coming of Christ. But what he did, I think we can emulate. He went around telling people about the salvation of Jesus. He was a messenger declaring to other people, repent and believe Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. Can I tell you something? I've never met John the Baptist, but I'm thankful for messengers in my life. I'm thankful for my mom and dad who taught me of the gospel of Jesus Christ from way back when I can remember. I'm thankful for the messenger of my grandparents who taught me about Jesus every time I was around them. I'm thankful for the messenger of Miss Ruby Helton who taught elementary school, um, Sunday school at Shady Grove Baptist Church in Randolph, Alabama. Do you know Miss Ruby Helton was the sweetest woman I have ever met in my life? She was God in the flesh. One day, during three-year-old nursery, she bent down to correct me. I reached up and pulled the pearls off her neck. They went bouncing all over the basement of the church. I recently went bouncing all over the basement of that church after that event as well. But the idea was that she tenderly loved me and taught me the gospel. I remember when my dad moved into Montevallo and began to pastor Aldridge Baptist Church when I was about 12 or 13 years old. There was a lady there named Miss Joyce Hall. Miss Joyce Hall taught me in Sunday school. She taught me in children's choir. She taught me in Bible school. Well, she taught me just about everywhere you turned around. Miss Joyce Hall was a messenger of the gospel. I remember about 15, 16 years old, Mr. James Ott, who was a part-time bivocational youth minister at our church, took me and about four other kids to youth camp, and he cared about us. He invested in us. He taught us his life. You know what? They were not John the Baptist, but they were to me. We celebrate the messengers of God who share the message. Can you do that? Can you take a moment and pull out a pen? Maybe not now while I'm preaching, but could you jot down the people who influenced you for the gospel? Who taught you of Jesus? Can I ask you a question? Can, you be said, can that be said of you for other people? Are you telling people about the Lord Jesus? Are you passing on this message of behold the Lamb, the one who takes away the sins of the world? John was a messenger, a special messenger in Zechariah's saying, I'm so thankful for this messenger and what he will do. Let, let me close by showing you the last group of people that he sings about in the text. Not only does he sing about the Messiah and the messenger, he sings about the multitudes. Did you know you're in the Bible? Did you know you're in the song? In fact, in Zechariah's Christmas song, you're in there. I'm in there. We're in Zechariah's Christmas song. Look, let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's me. I was lost in darkness and needed peace. I was lost in sin and needed rescuing. I was veiled and separated from God. I needed the light to penetrate my life. You know what Zechariah does? Zechariah holding his own son and knowing Mary is carrying the son begins to sing. And he begins to sing about what the Lord is going to do. And he says this messenger will tell people about this Messiah and this Messiah will go to the multitudes. And the multitudes will come out of darkness. And the multitudes will walk out of their sin and in their shame and they will be redeemed. And the multitudes will be saved. Look at the words that he uses. He says, and the sunrise shall visit us on high. That is some poetic, fancy words to say God's about to burst light into our world. He's about to bring the hope of the light of heaven into our world. He will transform us. He will give light to those who sit in darkness. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about this. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, we find these words, I am the Lord. I have called you to righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that blind, to bring out of the prisoner from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. John says we now can sing because the multitudes will get 
a sunlight. Can I, can I help you here? Jesus didn't come to be the flashlight to help you maneuver life. Certainly we have Him guiding us, but He didn't come to be the flashlight to help you have good health and good wealth and all the things perfect. He came not as a small flashlight to lead us through this bumpy world, but He came as the bright morning sun in order to lead us out of death into eternity. Let us not whittle God down into this genie in a bottle or this magic eight ball that we hope will help us navigate tomorrow's tough decisions. Let us be reminded He is the sun on high that has come to rescue us out of sin and darkness and sorrow and shame. And the sun on high who has called us out of the dungeon that we can live for Him. Yes, yes, by His light He guides us every day. Yes, He cares about every detail of your life. But Zechariah begins to sing and he says, man, the sunrise has come. Morning has come. Darkness is no more. And then notice what he says here in verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Yesterday morning, I did a funeral. Graveside funeral for a church member's uh, father who had passed away. Went to New Live Oak. I've been your pastor for a decade now, and I think I've gone to New Live Oak over uh, 40 or 50 times. In 10 years of pastoring here, I've done close to 100 funerals in the last decade. Not all in our church, but just uh, almost 100 funerals in a decade of time. That's a lot of shadow of death. That's a lot of gathering in a place and weeping and hurting and mourning. And then I read Zechariah's song, and I am reminded that Christmas is about a son who came. A son who came from heaven in order that he would bring the sunlight that would rise. And he would say to us, as we gather in those places of death, death's just a shadow now, for the sun has risen. For the sunlight has come to lead you out of death. You know the two types of women that don't give birth? virgins and the elderly. There's two women that categorically cannot give birth, virgins and the elderly. Do you know the two types of women that God used in the Christmas story? A virgin and an elderly woman. Now, is that not kind of funny and hilarious and awesome at the same time? Do you know why I think that's so necessary for us to remember? Because I want you to know something. God is not bound by nature. He's not bound by what we think is right and wrong and up and down and left and right. He is bound by His holy character. And He can do whatever He chooses to do. What may be impossible to man is, or impossible to man is possible to God. And if He wants to grow the birth of the Savior in the womb of a virgin or give the messenger to a barren elderly couple, God can do that. And you know why that's good? Because that's the same God that can take the heart of a sinner and replace it with a heart of flesh that beats for Him. That's the same God who can visit us and redeem us and rescue us. That's the same God who can save us from our sins. The God who can make a virgin and a lady in advanced years give birth is the same God who can save us out of the shadow of death. What a good and glorious God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father... We thank you for the opportunity to hear Zechariah's song. Oh God, how good it was. How good it was to be reminded why we sing at Christmas. How good it was to be reminded that you have visited your people. You have redeemed your people. 
that the sunrise has come, that we no longer live in the shadow of fear and death and slavery to sin. You have defeated our enemy. You have rescued us. Oh God, help us. Help us to sing. Help us to worship. Help us to be reminded you have come. And God, on those days where we think it's impossible, you can't love us because we're so broken. We can't, we can't get out of where we are. We can't conquer what we're doing. We can't get any further. Remind us of the wonderful truth that, that Lord, you can cause uh, the elderly and the virgin to give birth. Nothing is impossible for you. May we worship you. Friends, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I want to ask you just a few simple questions. The first question is simply this. Are you in a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Have you come to the, to the message that John proclaimed, the Messiah that he said? Have you come to Jesus, the one who, behold, takes away the sins of the world? Have you come to him? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Zechariah said he came to redeem his people. Zechariah said that he came to rescue us from death. Zechariah said he is the one that God had promised to send. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? I'm not talking about whether you've been to church or you've been baptized. I'm not talking about whether you know facts about Christmas. I'm asking you in your heart of hearts, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way for salvation is to cry out to Jesus to save us. And so I beg you, I plead with you this morning. Would you cry out to Jesus to be saved? Would you come to this one that Zacharias sang of? Would you come to the Messiah? Friend, he's the only one that can rescue you from death. He's the only one that can give you hope of sunrise in the shadow of the valley of death. You must come to Jesus. Let me ask you a second question. Maybe you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus. Do you sing to Him? I don't mean do you walk around belting out lyrics. I mean, does your heart rejoice in what God has done for you? Maybe you find yourself kind of out of fellowship. Oh, friend, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're in the Lord, you're not out of relationship for Jesus saved you. He holds you. He redeemed you. But maybe you're out of fellowship. Maybe sin has gotten you cloudy. Maybe you've gotten disobedient or lazy or lethargic in your walk with Him. Oh, friend, today, would you come to Jesus again? Would you remind uh, yourself of the salvation He's given you? Would you repent of your ways? Would you turn? We, we use an old word. Would you rededicate yourself? Would you wash yourself and come back to Jesus who saved you and loved you? Maybe today is that day. Maybe today you need to confess your sin and say, Lord, I just don't sing enough to you in my soul. You have redeemed me. Give me the joy, Lord. Give me purpose again. Finally, let me ask you a third question. That's simply this. Who are you telling? Zechariah sang a song about Jesus, but he also sang a song about John. He sang a song about a messenger, one who proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Brother or sister, who are you telling? Who are you being a John to? Who's looking to you? Who's your Miss Ruby or Miss Joyce? Who's your James Otts? Who are you telling about Jesus? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Maybe you want to come and pray at the altar about someone you want to tell Jesus about. Maybe you want to come and say, Pastor, I want a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be afraid of death any longer. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, Lord, I know I haven't had the joy of Christmas like I should. Set me right in our relationship. Whatever the case may be, I pray you'll respond to God's word as you should. Lord, lead us now in this time of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?